Hello and welcome to this episode of the Spotlight Podcast. My name is Christina Kerr. I work at Spotlight and today's topic is safety and harassment in the industry. Joining us on today's podcast, we have three incredible guests, including Wendy Spon, CDG, former head of casting at the National Theatre, Maureen Beattie, esteemed performer and president of Equity, and Ita O'Brien, intimacy and movement coordinator, who has recently worked on Gentleman Jack and Sex Education on Netflix. Needless to say, this is a huge topic in the industry at the moment, and we cover a wide range of issues within it, from the way roles are auditioned through to the culture on set or on stage. And then we also talk in a bit more detail about intimate scenes themselves and how they're executed. I want to warn listeners that some confronting and potentially triggering language is used in this podcast. If you choose to keep listening, I hope you find this discussion as informative and fascinating as I did. Enjoy. Maureen, Wendy, Ita, thank you so much for joining us on the Spotlight Podcast. This is a really big episode, in my opinion, on a really important topic, safety, issues with harassment or bullying. These are huge topics that are really being discussed right now in the industry and are really important for us to discuss as well. I want to start by asking each of you a bit about sort of your perspective on the industry and how you think these issues have sort of manifested in the last years. Perhaps, Maureen, we could start with you as a performer. What do you see as these sort of key concerns for actors? Well, I think my um, perspective on this whole thing, whole situation has not changed but widened over the past few years because I'm now president of equity, as you said, and... um, so I'm, whereas before I would have been very conscious of the performers and how particularly obviously women, because I'm a woman, um, how we were treated within the industry. But as president of equity, I am increasingly aware of uh, the other people, obviously the male performer, um, how, you know, men and particularly young men are being bullied and harassed and sexually harassed now. Um, and, you know, the vulnerability of the stage manager, the vulnerability of the assistant director, all these people. I just want to sort of say that, that what we in equity are trying to do is, you know, look after everybody. But I think there's absolutely no doubt that as a performer, um, because of the the very nature of the work we do, which if you are doing the work correctly, you remove a skin, you remove a layer of your carapace that protects you in the world. Um, and you, in order to get at the emotional truth of the part that you're playing, and that can be if you're playing somebody who's a murderer, it can be playing, you know, we're constantly asked to fall madly in love with somebody on the stage, and you have to, for me, the actors I admire, I know that they open themselves to that emotional truth in a way that you don't when perhaps you work in a bank you know you're not you're not being asked to go well I'm sitting here bank telling and you're doing a very important and good job but you're nobody's going oh by the way could you just uh, snog that guy uh, who's sitting or whatever it might be but also it's the what it's the emotional truth of it it's the the feelings that it conjures up um and also of course in our business you are often required to take off layers of clothing as well you know we in, in equity we, we um represent burlesque performers, for example, and one of the big problems we have is, you know, getting the public to understand that the person you see up on that stage, scantily clad, doing an absolutely brilliant job of entertaining you, then goes into the dressing room, takes off that makeup, ties their hair back, puts on their coat and goes home to 
possibly their partner and children or their, their, their life that they just live like the rest of us. So for us, I think it's absolutely true that we have a very... In this, we are the whole world and in every um, kind of, of business and every kind of industry now, we are aware of this sexual harassment, for, for example, going on. I think our industry has a very particular problem with it. Absolutely. And Issa, your role kind of has become much more um, present, I suppose, as a result of these things coming to the fore. Can you tell us a little bit, you know, what is the role of an intimacy coordinator? How does that contribute to actor safety? How did you get into that kind of work? Um, several questions in one there. Yes. <laughs> so, so first of all, um, the basic strap lines of um, the role of the intimacy coordinator is it's um, a role that invites open communi- communication and transparency when talking about all um, intimate content, and then putting in place a structure that allows for agreement and consent. Yeah, and those are the two basics. And then those allow um, the actor um, and the whole production to work with best practice. And it's that shift to understanding. So again, um, uh, Maureen, what you were saying is you, you bring yourself, isn't it, to be intimate content, being asked to, you know, your character to fall in love with somebody, you know, to be, you know, possibly being naked because your character's making love with somebody. Absolutely. And, um, and my um, sense is in the past, there hasn't been an understanding that actually an actor can also bring their craft to the um, scenes with intimacy as they have done with any other part of the play or indeed a fight or a dance. And, um, and of course, a fight and a dance, everybody really understands that it's um, a physical chore- um, choreography and you bring a skill. And so you have a choreographer that helps people to learn how to do the steps. You have a fight director that um, teaches someone the, the skills to look like you're perhaps sword fighting, but it's pretend. And um, before the open communication and before people being able to speak clearly and openly about the sexual content, it was kept in that embarrassing place. So it wasn't dealt with professionally. And then the inference that everybody does sex, so that's not a skill. And the difference is, and why, and people say, why now? I mean, it makes, you know, it's like, it seems so obvious, but why now? And the difference is that with Me Too, the acknowledgement that um, whereas with a dance, you might be mitigating against possibly the injury of twisting an ankle, or a fight, you're mitigating against the injury of perhaps a sword poking someone's eye out. Um, the injury, um, when the, then the intimacy isn't done well is of, again, feeling harassed and ab- abused with your personal and private intimate body. Yeah. And post Me Too, people saying, um, you know, being listened to and heard that that, uh, that um, injury actually, which is, um, can be physical, but also can be emotional and psychological, actually is, a, is something to be really honoured and listened to. And actually those injuries invariably have way more ripple effects, can last in someone's life way longer than um, a twisted angle. Um, and that's now been listened to and heard. And then therefore producers are going, and we need to put in best practice, and we need to take care so that our productions are working to best practice. And also that then they won't be open to litigation if someone says, I've not been treated well. Absolutely. And that's where you come in yeah. to sort of provide that. Yeah, provide that structure. Yeah, I must say, just a point, several young actors, particularly young actors, I've never personally worked with an intimacy coordinator, I, I, I director, I hope I get a chance to at some point, but... Um, it, what they say is that it's the difference between 
getting a bit carried away in a scene and it's not that somebody necessarily is a bully and is doing it deliberately but you know you get this this thing that you just said about you know you're just supposed to sort of do it and nobody talks about it you know young people saying that it, it allows that thing of going no actually we didn't rehearse that your hand went there your hand only goes this far and then my hand does this and it's a place that you can go where you can be absolutely precise like you would as you say with a sword fight you yeah. go that, that sword was too close that's not what we rehearsed and it's really empowering particularly young people to go I'm sorry that's not and it's it's a precise thing it's just fantastic really great absolutely it's made such a change I think and it's as a result of these conversations that you're able to be more specific I think in a way that we weren't able to be before or just weren't doing that's right and actually it was really lovely again I was saying just coming back from Stockholm um, this morning and one of the actors at the seminar um, said that this work has made her realise that as an actor she actually has autonomy over her own body. <laughs> and it was such an you know, such a basic, basic thing. But that was but it was a real revelation. And again, this inference that if you're a good actor, then just there's no, you know, everything's in play. And of course it you know, that shouldn't be the case. Um, and her that, that that statement was beautiful. Mm, for sure. Wendy, your point of view is obviously from a casting point of view. Can you tell us a little bit how you think casting sort of contributes to that safety aspect? Um, sure, yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, essentially, the casting director's role is a sort of a mediator, an enabler, someone who, if you do the job well, you're doing everything you can to ensure that everyone in the audition process gives of their best. And that's that applies to both the actor and the director that you produce that you might be working with. Um, and I think it's in some ways it's 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 basic practical stuff it's it's information and knowledge it's making sure that the person walking into that room the vulnerable actor because it's never a level playing field so you're vulnerable on any number of levels um and obviously the way that Maureen described that so beautifully about you know what you have to do as an actor you're taking a layer of skin off you are making yourself vulnerable and I think all casting directors are aware of that so you're endeavoring to create an atmosphere in a room which is constructive and respectful Jonathan Kent um, you know fantastic theatre director as an ex-actor used to say the best thing I can do is make sure that the actor leaves the room with their dignity intact and I I think that's a you know uh, obviously it's really important but an awful lot of people don't manage to do that Um, sometimes that takes you into territory where the actor absolutely thinks they've got the job and maybe they haven't but you know because he's so positive but so by extension talking about scenes of a sexual nature, um, you have to give, if the project is sensitive or difficult, you have to be aware of that when you're setting up the auditions and the process that you go through. Um, I had something, an issue recently where an, an actor was in touch about an audition that they'd done. Um, it was actually for a charity. It was a, it was a, a, a promotional video for a charity. Um, but it was very, very difficult material. And they walked into the room not knowing that they would be asked to simulate a physically violent act. Um, and that was a really interesting. It came to, to me via the Casting Directors Guild. And we sort of um, entered the conversation just to try and understand what had happened and spoke to the, to, to the casting people concerned because we felt this person had been left very vulnerable so I think that's those are the things where we can endeavor to make the situation as as safe as possible absolutely so it's not just the 
you know, there's so many layers of this, basically. We've already touched on them. You know, it's not just in the performance. It's also in the audition room. It's on set. It's sort of, there's so many layers to that. Um, and I kind of, you know, before we get into those sort of more specific scenarios, I wanted to sort of start more generally and, and ask you why it is you think there are these issues in this industry. I know that's a really broad question, but what is it about this industry in particular that this is where we're at, where we're only just starting to have these conversations. Because as you said, Maureen, before, you know, it's unthinkable in a bank or <laughs> any office scenario or any most other conventional jobs, not even in an office necessarily anywhere. You know, there's a there's a contract. There's an idea of how things work. There's a clear line of reporting and responsibility. What is it about this industry that makes it different? Well, I really do think that, you know, there are still people out there, and there are far more of them than you might think, who think that actresses are whores. Mm. I mean, they do. Uh, it's extraordinary. Uh, you know, I was at school it was a thousand years ago, but, you know, when I was at school, you know, I went to a convent school, and, you know, I, I wanted to be an actress was literally like, um, well, you've sold your soul to the devil. That's you, you're, you're a lost woman. I mean, that was a long time ago, but but it's absolutely true. I, I do think that people still uh, think of us, and I do think there's a massive problem um, uh, about the fact that we, uh, the public, not all of them, but have difficulty telling the difference between the person that is they've watched on a stage playing a part and the person that, you know, it's just, just a, it's a person having a coffee around the corner with their friends. Right. I think there's that. I think that the fact that our business is so precarious, you know, people often say you need the height of a rhinoceros, a rhinoceros to be a performer, for example. Mm. Um, well, actually, yes, you do, but you also need to have a head height of a rhinoceros, which you can take off very quickly and remove a layer of your skin. Yeah, there's a Josh. perception, right, that, that you know, um, actors are kind of both revered and are sort of separated in a way Madonna from other people. Whore. Yeah. yeah, because they're willing to do stuff that we're not willing to do. There's that sort of yeah. idea behind it. And, but Wendy, yeah. and I think, well, yeah. I think the the, the other vulnerability um, which plays into into the specificity of our industry is, you know, the fear of re- being regarded as difficult, right, um, so, yes. and jeopardising future employment prospects. So if you stand up for yourself and say, I really don't want to do that, um, you know, the, the the empowerment that's come, I think, in the last th- three or four years, uh, you know, straight out of Me Too and onwards, is brilliant because. The, the boundaries have shifted but it's but but there is there is that element to it there are as Maureen rightly points out there are no sort of you know you don't have an HR company when you're a freelance actor and actually you know UK theatre say that at least 45% of the industry is freelance right. so you know that means it's very difficult to regulate we don't take up references you know yes on, that's a big it, it's problem, a yeah. it's a kind of it's a sort of it's it's maverick it's idiosyncratic and so lots of behaviours have been accepted um, that, as, again, as, as Maureen says, you know, that, that would not be accepted in, in conventional workplaces. That's not to say that, as, as we know, sexual harassment doesn't happen in oh, conventional we, we know it does. And also creative personalities are often challenging personalities. And, um, you know, part of um, the narrative with the intimacy guidelines, when I started teaching them and they were saying, well, how can I, when I leave here, you know, you know, say anything? And, I'm, and I was saying to them, your first day of your training is your first day as a professional artist. And then also saying to them, you've spent thousands of pounds mm. developing your artistry, hundreds of thousands of hours, and your artistry is something to, you know, offer to a production. 
you know, so, so to think of yourself as an artist, you know, and if you had a beautiful jewel that you're going to be giving to a production, you know, you wouldn't allow it to be trampled on. So to, to understand that that's actually what you're offering. And then the other side of the narrative is absolutely that thing of um, everybody being afraid of ever they say the word no. They can, it either means that they're a diva or they're a troublemaker and then absolutely that their job is in jeopardy. And um, so, so the narrative, you know, what I'm inviting is that shift to going, you are an artist, you're a professional and you're going to offer your artistry to the best of your ability to serve the production. Mm. And the thing is that I started teaching this in 2015 and I knew that that narrative was not a narrative that was um, going to be um, acknowledged within the industry, but that's where suddenly post Me Too and then with you know the Royal Court leading the way in being the first ones that came together created a code of conduct and basically the code of conduct is just saying that and then the next thing is um, in the, within the structure of allowing for agreement and consent we're inviting a positive no we're going where is it, where of your personal and private body is at play and also saying to them you've got to be ultra aware ultra present Yes, and so you can say your no's, no, not override yourself, yeah, go beyond your own boundaries, so that your yes can be trusted. Ah, right. Because yeah. what we want, you know, I had a situation where I was on a production and the, I think one actor didn't want to rehearse. He said, I don't want to make the sex scene a bigger thing than it needs to be. I think the other lady would have liked to rehearse. So obviously I'm never going to ask someone to go somewhere that they're not comfortable with so it was no to going through the process but it meant that that structure wasn't put in place a positive no wasn't part of the arena and then the director um, filmed did the sex scene twice and they said don't have to do it again had lunch came back um, another setup we went oh actually I could have really done with um, repeating that but I've already told the actors they don't have to do it again and, um, and I said well just ask them he said but they'll just say yes and I said, well, do you want me to ask them? He said, but they'll just say yes to you, to the you because they know that it's come from me. And my realisation was, oh, the no wasn't, hadn't been present and he didn't trust their yes to actually mean yes. And so he, as a director, he felt vulnerable mm. that if he'd yeah, asked again, absolutely. that then he yeah. would have been put upon and being declared as perhaps being bullying yeah, and harassing yeah. by even asking again. And we, need to, and, yeah. and we need to shift that, but it is shifting. For yeah. sure. I just wanted to mention there that you're referring to your intimacy onset guidelines, Ita. And yes. if anyone does want to read them, they can read them on your site. That's right. Um, can you tell us a little bit, just since we're on that topic, how you developed them? Was, what was the process of developing those guidelines? So we'll do a, a positive yes, um, little so as a, <laughs> insight into as that. As a practitioner, uh, my journey has been I've been a musical theatre dancer, trained as an actor, worked as an actor, and then retrained to the MA in movement studies at the Royal Centre School of Speech and Drama. And then for the last, since 2007, worked as a movement teacher and a movement director. And then I was um, creating a device piece of play about um, the, looking at the dynamic of abuse in our society and I started looking at how I kept my actors safe. So that was the beginning of me putting in practices and processes. And that's when Meredith Dufton, at the head of movement, asked me to come and teach that work at Mount View. And then as I started doing that, I also got support. And um, some part of the guidelines come from Vanessa Ewan. And her inspiration had been watching a fight call and seeing the time and the space and the skill that was given to the fight and going, this is what need, we need for the intimacy. And so um, her Vanessa's inspiration absolutely formed the core. It's number seven, where you go through the, the bit that I said, the process that allows for agreement and consent 
absolutely comes from Vanessa. Um, we also found really good guidelines that spoke to the actor from Jennifer Ward-Leland, who's the president of New Zealand Equity. So I've also worked very closely with her. Absolutely. Um, I think just what we're sort of getting at, I think, often in what we've been saying so far is the fact that the fact that we're actually having the conversation and now setting in place some boundaries and some guidelines across different levels. So as an industry as a whole, on set, as an individual, there are sort of levels to the boundaries that need to be formed. And that's quite fascinating and quite new for this industry, I think. I want to kind of shift topic for a second here and talk about the Creating Safe Spaces initiative, mm. Maureen. Mm. If I can pick up with you there. Yeah. What, where did that sort of come about? What were you hoping to achieve? Can you talk us through that? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, again, back to the, the revelations of... Um, Gosh, uh, what was it, 2017, November 2017, when we all just went, oh, gosh, thank God. It was like a boil that needed lanced, you know. And, um, you know, we were there we were in equity. I was vice president of equity at the time, and we just realised, myself, Christine Payne, and the other activists, we have got to do something about this. I felt at the end of this process we had sort of spoken to virtually everybody who'd ever worked in the entertainment industry, which was great. We spoke to people who from the casting, we spoke to directors, we spoke to um, filmmakers, we spoke to women's groups, we spoke to drama schools, we spoke to writers you know you can imagine and we formed from that a three-pronged attack uh, we gathered all the information and it was all put into a, a, a book a booklet which you can get from equity i think also we might have you can get them around i think mm-hmm. you can get them from spotlight i think we keep try to keep you supplied we do um, have them yes <laughs> i'm the spotlight supplier um <laughs> so uh and that's called the agenda for change and that's the written um, you know, precy of all the different things that you can do as a practitioner and also the things that equity are up to and how we are. Do- and so we are still, of course, lobbying the government to get things put in. There is a mention, of course, of intimacy direction. There is um, a talk about um, what drama schools could be doing. Um, you know, all the different things, the BFI, the BAFTA people, all that sort of stuff. It's it, 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 But it's in this one. So that's like your written word. The visuals are the poster campaign, which is the Creating Safe Spaces poster, and on it it has the harassment helpline, and it also has our um, uh, harassment email, which is harassment at equity.org.uk, both of which are, I know if you send an email it's not, it's not completely confidential, but it is confidential in terms of it will go no further. And then we, along with that, there is now a new member of staff um, who is on the end of that, Adam Morali Younger, absolutely fabulous. We've got and a podcast with him too, by the way, if anyone wants oh, to listen yes, to that. Yeah. He's, he's, he's terrific. And the third part of it, which has been massively popular um, and, and really has made a kind of astonishing difference, is the read out affirmation, which is the, the, you, the a voice says, a human being says at the beginning of every, whatever it might be, whatever project, this is how we are going to behave to one, one another. And I am, a, I mean, of all the things, it's the one that people go, oh yeah, because I, if I'm, all the jobs I'm doing, uh, says she, hopefully that that continues. But I, I always call the director or whatever and say, listen, it'd be all right if I read out. And now I can't remember the last time somebody said, what is that? Always the answer is, oh no, we, we're going to do that anyway. Oh, you'll be there. Oh, great, you can read it. Right. So that and it's a and then it's stuck on the wall underneath the poster, and 
and friends of mine have said to me, I was in rehearsal, everybody was behaving themselves really well. And then about a week in, it all started, there was one guy getting a bit antsy, or one woman behaving, whatever. I said, all you need to do is just point to the affirmation or indeed just read it out again. And people go, oh, sort of, so that's um, that. That's basically what the agenda for change. Do you want me to say the words of the affirmation, or, or do, you do you want to? Do you know them by heart? I house? do. Oh, oh. yes, indeed, I well, do. Well, yes, that so, would be lovely. <laughs> Every single one of us working on this project is entitled to work in a safe space, a space free from fear, a space free from bullying and harassment of any kind. We will work together, honouring our differences and celebrating the gifts that we each bring to the table. We will treat one another with politeness and respect at all times. And if we are subjected to or witness bullying or harassment, we will speak out, knowing that our voices will be heard and we will be taken seriously. Together, we can create a safe space. And when that's read out in a room, it's absolutely astonishing. You can see people going... because. Not that people are going, oh, I was going to behave badly and now I can't. It just really sits there no, in the absolutely. air. So that's that's the that's what the agenda and that's the main thrust of what we are. And and as it's we didn't just do it and leave it there. We're just about to start up because of course one of the things you, we're really keen to do is get the proof that it's working. So it seems to be working, but we're going to do a bit of a survey and say to people, have you noticed a difference? You know, a year ago, what were you finding? Now, what are you finding? And that will hopefully, and that will also teach us how to improve and make it better and we had a a bit of a uh, earlier on in february this year we had a a little do to um Kito was there uh, to um just honor the fact that we'd been that this had been created a year ago and, and and to ask ourselves the question what else do we need to do and i'm sure we'll speak about that yeah of course yeah. i mean for me the affirmation is super powerful because it's about accountability and responsibility that's making everybody in the room responsible i think one of the sort of um difficult points particularly when I you know and I obviously have the great pleasure to talk to people like yourselves and a lot of different casting directors and producers and directors and the thing often that comes up is oh I think it was that other person's responsibility you know it was the yeah. it was the person in the room I wasn't in the room or you know the producer signed off on that or whatever it might be there's a there's a bit of a sort of culture of well, it was this other one, other person over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I kind of wanted to, yeah, sort of plug into that a little bit more. Obviously, acknowledging that we are a room of, of women here and, and we don't represent every role um, that's imaginable on a production set. Um, but what do you think the role of particularly, I want to ask about the producer. So, I mean, maybe, Wendy, it'd be good to start with you on that because I think often once you've actually figured out what a role might look like, it's up to the casting director to then sort of define in the room what might happen. Would you agree? Or, uh, or what, what is the role yeah. of the sort of external parties in your view? Well, actually, I mean, we're very much, as, casting, as a casting director, you're very much at the front end of the process. Right. So in some regards, I think what happens once the piece is cast is slight, slightly out of your control. I mean, you're, you're often... You might be a first point of contact, particularly as I used to be. If you're based in a building like the National Theatre, there's a level of kind of pastoral care that comes your way. Um, and you tend to know the people involved perhaps quite well. Um, but I think that... I think I went to a, um, a really brilliant event at the beginning of the year, which the Federation of Entertainment Unions had organised, um, which was called Creating Without Conflict from Disbelief to Dignity. And the Casting Directors Guild um, were asked to attend. And it was a really, really um, great event, actually, with, with so, so 
um, Equity, the MU, the NUJ, back to the direct, Directors UK, the BFI, UK Theatre, the Writers Guild were all there. And it was amazing. What was really um, impressive about it was how all of those organisations were actively engaging with how to improve things, how to change the culture. So I, th- so I think that those people are actually also beginning to define for themselves what is appropriate on a, mm-hmm. on a set or in a rehearsal room. The casting director, in, a, in, one, in one regard, has a sort of limited role to play at that moment in a, in a project. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It does, yeah. I mean, I, I guess kind of what I was interested in is, is particularly the, um, how you set the tone in the room. Because I honestly think that, um, particularly for a lot of younger actors, that's their first experience, particularly of the power imbalance that goes on in the industry that's just going to be present in their careers. It's usually with a casting director in an audition. It's that format where they finally kind of come into contact with that disparity, if you know what I mean. Um, So I kind of wonder, obviously, you know, you're very present in the CDG. You know, it's there, there are standards being built around what happens in the room. But, you know, what from your point of view, when you're actually creating a breakdown, what is that process? Is there guidance how do we integrate safety into that process to make sure that when the actor finally has that face-to-face experience it's a positive one well the guild has a as you know has a code of conduct which is available on the website so and everyone every casting director who joins the guild has to sign up to that code of conduct mm-hmm. and that lays out all the all the things that you might expect about um, you know how you how you treat actors. Very specifically, practical things about the process. Again, going back to the whole, the, my point at the beginning about information and knowledge, and empowering people in the room. I mean, literally in the room. I think you're monitoring all the time what what the feeling is, what the atmosphere is, um, and and doing your very best um, to ensure that the actor feels okay that they feel as comfortable as it's possible to be when you're basically in an interview for a job um, and everyone is always nervous. Um, And also to remind the director or the producer that it's a two-way street. That actor coming in the room might need to to decide for themselves whether they actually want the job, you know, depending on what level you're talking about. And, of course, as you rightly point out, a young actor starting out, their experience of an audition is, you know, can be quite traumatic. But you try, you do your very best to demystify that process. You make sure that you spend, if you know that they're young and inexperienced, you make sure that you spent the time with them in the waiting room to um, relax them a little bit, say, oh, this director doesn't do small talk, don't worry, that doesn't reflect on you. You know, he spends maybe five minutes with you, sometimes less, but that doesn't mean he doesn't like you or that you haven't got the job. Um, so just, just lower your expectations, you know, or don't, you know, don't expect polite conversation because it will be, it will be a bit bish-bash-bosh. So you, there's a lot of, with younger actors, there's a lot of sort of trying to, as I say, demystify or sort of, you know, nurture them through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, but it isn't a level playing field. It's very yeah. difficult. But you certainly, I, I mean, it's interesting because personally, as a casting director, I have very rarely been in a room. I suppose I haven't worked for the kind of theatres where, um, well, I've mostly worked for the theatres where direct, there are quite experienced directors, directors who people respect and trust. I've, I, I'm fortunate in that I've never veered into the territory where you're working with someone who you think whose behaviour you think is dubious. Mm-hmm. That's not there might be some exceptions to that if I think really hard about it. Um, but most people, a lot of those people know how to behave. Yeah, for sure. I'm kind of curious, just sort of 
occurred to me about the influence of social media in terms of the casting process because I think particularly now as we open up our ideas of who can play what parts I want to ask you a very sort of specific question here which is about trans casting because it occurs to me that um, that is something that Spotlight has often struggled to, to help casting directors cast is particularly trans roles and so they often end up on social media casting directors posting direct to social media and asking mm. this is what we're mm. looking for and I just wonder what the take of the room would be on that in terms of the safety aspect because obviously in that scenario that person is casting not at spotlight not at an environment like spotlight they might be casting in a home or somewhere mm. else um, but obviously they're looking for a specific kind of performer and that's quite important too so I'm just wondering what's your take on the sort of clash between wanting inclusivity and wanting safety if that makes sense and well, how safe is it to cast I, on social sure. media well I mean not very I would think I mean it, it would specifically answering to, to your thing about 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 trans actors I mean the National Theatre as, as I'm sure you know have just done a big event which which I participated in some of um, specifically for trans actors which was great and that was about expanding a knowledge base um, to access those people who might otherwise as you say be sort of slightly on the fringes in terms of process um, but so I, I, I think if you're if you're a legitimate if you're a casting director, if you are wanting to expand your horizons, then it's okay to use social media as long as you apply the same criteria as you would to advertising Absolutely, through Spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That you that you I mean it must it, there have got to be boundaries that you understand um, for sure about how you describe a role or how how you articulate that you're actively seeking a trans actor. I mean, I, I would never want to, as you can imagine, get in the way of any trans performer getting a job. But I do think that we just have to keep a real weather eye out on it. And, and as Wendy says, it, the, the same criteria have to have to apply. You know, there's lots and lots of platforms that you can use to get at the entire performing community of the UK, for example. This is a growing a growing part of our, our membership, but we have to protect them because they are part of the membership that is often uh, regarded by members of the public as a, a bit, they don't know quite what to do with them because they don't, they're not like the absolute norm. And, you know, uh, so we have to protect them. It's like the, you know, our, our black and ethnic minority community, all those other things, you know, they are, they have an extra layer of the my goodness, the deaf and disabled, gosh, the stories that came out of that community when we were doing the, the work on sexual harassment were just, you know, what do you do when you can't hear? What do you, what do, you do when you can't hear what's happening behind you? What do you do when you can't see what's happening around you? What do you do when you can't run up the stairs or run down the stairs? I mean, you know, it's really what an eye-opener. What an eye-opener. Absolutely, so you know. complex. It's an intersectional issue, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. You know. But certainly, I mean, but speaking specifically to your point about, you know, auditioning in someone's home, I mean, again, the Code of Conduct for the Guild, you know, that specifically says, you know, that we should actively discourage meetings in places that are not a professional environment. Absolutely. But, but the other thing that, um, you know, that's such a right, in the last 10 years is um, self-taping. One of my workshops that I ran that was actually weird um, for all females, you know, and people sharing their stories of, you know, intimate content. Several of them were saying they got a breakdown um, and the casting said, oh, if you have your own latex, please can you put it on? And then, you know, please can we be wearing a thong? Wow. And at the end of the, the um, script, can you turn and um, show your, your thong to the camera? 
And again, I'm saying, if you are doing anything at all that you feel nervous, that's overstepping your boundaries, yeah. that's feeling it's belittling or making you vulnerable, you just do not do it. You're, you're, again, your artistry is not worth that. Absolutely. But unfortunately, it's been more and more has been asked. Um, On the self-tape front, that's really and, shocking. And part of the guidelines are, if you're asked to do intimate or sexual content, I'm saying it should be in their second call, so that you're sent the script and you know what the content is. And if you feel that you want um, an extra layer of safety, that you're able to bring a chaperone with you, yeah. bring a friend with you, so they can be present in the space. Um, and if that's going to be filmed, then that you have a contract you ask the um, casting to sign to say, and once that role is cast, that tape will be destroyed. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm reminded of a story that I was told by an agent with a young actor straight out of drama school um, who got a really, really big job. Um, and, and it was both a big job and their first job. And it included scenes of a sexual nature. It included a storyline of incest. And of course, the scripts weren't really, they weren't properly finished. They weren't all available when they accepted the job. And he when he did receive the scripts and it became clear quite what was being asked of him, um, he was extremely uncomfortable. And when the agent challenged it, um, she had to she had to really enter a battle with the production company mm. and the producers who threatened to recast him rather than change oh, wow. the content. And work with him yeah. to be okay yeah. with the content. Yeah, and uh, in the end, because she took a very, very, very strong position, which she felt... Interestingly, going back to our original thing about the, the specificity of our industry, jeopardised some relationships, you know, that, mm. that she would rather not have jeopardised in terms of employment opportunities for her clients. But she stood her ground entirely to her credit and they, they changed things and they amended things sufficiently. But I think it was still quite traumatic for this young actor. Yeah. But that brings um, up a very good point, though, about something you said before, Isa, which is about saying no yeah. and how you say no. Yeah. Can we talk to that a little bit more in terms of what what did what does the actor actually do? Can I, can I, no. On that saying no, can I just finish off with a point? Of I was make, well, one of just what I want to say about the self taping. Yes. The thing is, you can if you're in a in a casting and you know it's being filmed and there's sexual content, you can have that contract and you know have that agreement consent that that then will be destroyed once the part is cast. But when you're sending a self tape off, you're not going to have that. Um, um, yeah. a, you know, ability to, 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 to have that signed off you know, with a contract and that's all I'm saying to everybody do not send those self-tapes off with any content that you at all might be concerned that if, because you, if you don't have control on it it could end up on any social media um, and um, yeah Well no, I just wanted to know, you know what your take on it would be I mean particularly for instance if say for instance someone actually got to the room Wendy, what would you say to someone if they actually got to the room and then were like, no, I'm not doing that? I just want to sort of demystify that for yeah, actors. Yeah, no, I understand. Can they say it in the I room? Understand. I understand. I think, I think if it hasn't been made clear to them in advance that they might be expected to do whatever they feel is in the moment is inappropriate, then they absolutely have the right to say no. And I, sh I both myself and the director should respect that. Mm -hmm. um, because I think you can't, you, you know, you really can't expect someone... To, to do something in the room that they didn't know about. Mm. That, that's just, that's not right. I think, I mean, I, I, I do think that sometimes these things are self-selecting. You know, if you see a script, I mean, obviously I'm mostly dealing with 
extant scripts. It might be a new play, but it's there, it's in your hand, and it's unlikely to change so radically between you auditioning and being in it if you get the job. Um, but I know with film and TV it's very different. Um, but I think if the script, if you read the script and you feel uncomfortable, then you have to talk to your agent, who might then talk to me as the casting director and say, and ultimately you might have a conversation where the actor decides not to put themselves in the frame for that role because they don't feel comfortable. But to come into a room and be asked to do something that you didn't know about is not, I don't think that's appropriate. Right, that's not on. I have to say that um, as a performer, going into to, to the interview situation, you know, of course, like all businesses, there are reputations and there are casting directors that we all, the whole community, just go, fantastic. You go in there, you feel so, you, they're so on your side. Uh, they just want you to be safe and comfortable. They respect what they you do, you know, all that stuff. And there are other people who are famous for not being like that. Um, and some people who are just don't seem to be particularly interested, which I think is interesting because we are the people who are putting the bread on your tables. But a lot of people forget that, you know. Um, but uh, when you go into a casting and the casting director is one of the people who's kind of like, it is absolutely like having somebody on the bridge at Thermopylae for you. Going, ah, oh, no, this is just you can't come across here, and because because they're on your side, and it doesn't have to be said out loud, but it's just it, it the whole atmosphere in that in a room like that is utterly different, and you know I would say that ninety nine times out of a hundred you can tell when you walk through the door, you could, and it's not that something awful's going to happen if a nice atmosphere isn't there. It's not that you you, you immediately feel incredibly vulnerable, but it's just a kind of feeling of yeah, we're all going to respect one another. Mm. Well, you know, the performers got to respect the people doing the casting as well. You know, turn up on time, have your lines learned if you're supposed to. You know, whatever it might be. But it, yeah, it's really, it's really, really important um, that that feeling that you, the casting person is is on the lookout for you if necessary. Right, it's great. exactly. It's really great when you get that. Absolutely. Do we do we think in general there's much difference between what gets asked for for a sort of film role versus a theatre role? Do you think one is more What's the nature of the auditions in terms Absolutely. of what gets asked Well, for? I think probably it would be true to say, I'd be very interested to know what Ita and Wendy think, but it's probably true to say that overall there's a hell of a lot more nudity and sex on screens, yes, television and film, than there is on, say, theatre and radio. It's a different know. kind of storytelling, isn't it, I yeah, think, yeah, essentially, yeah. between theatre and, scr- and screen. Yeah. Um, and the stakes, in some regards, the stakes are higher. They're higher financially. They're higher, you know, because they're what they want is viewing figures. I mean, obviously, you want to sell tickets in theatres, but it's a different. There's a there's a different stress on that, I think. And and I think very often in theatre, um, you're going to look at a heightened or abstract yes. way yes. to represent exactly. the sexual content. Exactly. Because actually, well, first of all, if it's just straight on, you know, a sexual act, you know, past the fourth row, you're not going to see much detail yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Um, and it's certainly not what you would capture on camera. And, um, and invariably, theatre is about a representation of life. And so, so it tends to be created a lot more um, artistically or, you know, the ideas of it. And so, therefore, the vulnerability isn't quite as, as full-on, um, yeah... But certainly on film, you've got, you know, the idea of reality and actualness. And, yeah, you know, naturalism, yeah, yeah, writ large, isn't yeah, it? For sure. Yeah. Just to sort of close out the audition kind of topic, I wanted to ask about NDAs. Uh, yeah, I had a feeling you might react like that, Maureen. Well, <laughs> but there's how, some great NDAs, some good and very important NDAs. I'm sure. 
I just want to know a bit more, like, how do you think they're misused? Well, they are just horribly misused. And actually, you know, you cannot use and anybody in our business, be they equity members or not, who is asked to sign an NDA. An NDA that you sign cannot legally be used to stop you from speaking about something which is not legal. You ca- if somebody bullies you or harasses you or sexually harasses you, signing an NDA to say that you won't talk about it has absolutely no power at all. And please remember that. I do understand that you might well still feel vulnerable and not want to be, as Wendy said earlier, about not being the one that makes a fuss and not being the one that, well, she behaved or he behaved like that or whatever, and so are they, should I say, behaved like that, and so um, we'll never have them back. Uh, I get that as well, but it has no power at all. Do not be let them fool you about that. So there is one of the problems with NDAs is there are good NDAs. I mean, the job that I'm just about to start, I signed an NDA because I, nobody wants me to tell away what happens in the plot. And that's a really good thing because it's a fantastic plot and you, you're constantly going, oh, and that's all part of it. I'm really happy to do that, but I'm not happy to sign an NDA that says that if somebody, you know, sticks their hand up my skirt, I'm not allowed to talk about it. So we're very, very conscious of it um, and, and we just need to police it all the time. I mean, they're pretty much never used in theatre. I mean, we used them at the National when we did the show about Rebecca Brooks because it was during the trial, and so we had to have an NDAs with the script and you know watermark scripts and all of that. But it, but I, I'm pretty sure it, it very Doesn't rarely really get, occurs mm, in theatre. Right, that's interesting. Um, I kind of want to ask then, in terms of moving on to once past the audition process, once the actor's actually been given a script, how soon if they can see that there are intimate scenes in there that perhaps they're unsure about how soon are they able to actually talk about that what would you recommend I mean so part of my recommendation is and I feel it's asking both in theatre and um, TV and film is um, so there can be that open conversation and agreement and consent and also just as you were saying Wendy that thing that um, that the director getting the actor that is happy and comfortable to do the content that they have in their vision and, um, and for the actor to know that they're going to work with a director that they trust in order to create that vision in a, in a way that they feel um, comfortable with. Um, but that means asking the directors to think about that content earlier than they might have done. And it doesn't mean that thinking about it and then having that conversation doesn't mean that it has to be locked down in stone or that it can't change because, of course, we're in an industry where it is about, you know, responding to the people you have in the room, responding to what they bring creatively and things can shift and change. But... Um, to be able to have that conversation um, clearly and openly about what it is you think you want, and as you're saying about this young guy, before they take the job. Yeah, and I say to the actors, if the, if the direct, if you've been offered a job, great. Um, if the director hasn't um, brought that subject, um, and you have, can see that there's intimate or sexual um, content, then you bring the conversation. And then they say, well, how do we do that? I say, well, contact your agent. Say, I'd really love. Yeah. Great, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Please, can we set up a call or a meeting so that we could have that conversation? And also say to the actors, you be responsible. If you see that content there, then you know, then you make sure that you also prepare. Perhaps do your research. Have your ideas so that you're not just coming going oh I don't know don't know I'm if I'm comfortable you go as a as I say as a fellow professional empowered be able to have the conversation 
um, to be able to listen to also what the process of the director has. And if you feel they don't have a process that's going to help you as the artist to give the best sex scene, that you offer the intimacy guidelines and saying it's a, as a solution, not a problem, and as a positive way to say this is the way that I'm going to give you the best intimate content that I can give you. I think I think that thing about agents as well. I think agents, good agents, well, are we've, re, so we've re kind of omitted the agent here, haven't we? <laughs> well, <laughs> but, well uh, you know, absolutely as part of that that um, you know. Uh, whole way of how do we protect how do we protect people and and you know if you've got a good agents on your side and you phone up and you go listen i've got this bit of a problem here i'm this thing um can i run it by you maybe go in and see your agent or and you have a chat and everything like that and then maybe your agent uh, i know my agent would if i said listen would you set up a meeting with whoever this person is and, and would you come absolutely no question that that would be and i'm that's the agent is really key again like the casting director they're on your side um and and i am staggered to to find myself meeting young actors who are frightened of their agents. I mean, frightened of their agents. This is a person who's supposed to be out there working for you. And um, I was working at some point in the past few years uh, with a young actor, um, a young an actress, and she, her agent wanted her to go up for this job where she, they, they had they said in advance they wanted her to show, um, I think it was signed in her underwear or something like that. She was really uncomfortable with it, really uncomfortable. It was a proper bona fide production with a bona fide cast, whatever. But she and we were like that. She was sharing a dressing room with three older actors who all went, "Not well. You just don't do it. You phone your agent and you say, I'm not willing to do this.' And and and, and she said, "Oh, I didn't, didn't like to anyway." Blah blah blah. So eventually she did, and the agent gave her a hard time, mm -hmm. a really hard time. And we had to sort of nurture her through it and 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 make her. And eventually she they agreed that she would go in, and she did it without taking her clothes off. Uh, the, the the job didn't work out, but that's sort of neither here nor there. Well, maybe it is not here or there because you know. Maybe if she had, she'd have got it. I don't know what the situation... But but I was really, on the subject of agents, I was really shocked by the fact that this agent was not absolutely, without question, on her side immediately. But, of course, there's that thing of, you know, you you don't want to... The agent doesn't want to get on the wrong side of people because they're going to cast other people in their books and it's all those things. But for me, the number one... You take somebody on, then you... You got to be their wingman. It's also about. It's also quite a good, um, you know, advert for joining a union because actually, oh, well, you know, for sure. you know, if you if you have if you are a member of Equity, then you also have all of the the support network. But so I was going to add something that came up in the creating without conflict event where um, I don't. Do you know Samina Zara? She spoke, you know, very um, very sensibly about confronting the small things. So, so mediating very early on. So, so you know, it, trying to empower yourself. I mean, I suppose that's part of it. What you were saying, Eater, about having the conversation very early on. Yeah. So that the thing becomes constructive and positive, rather than escalating yeah. to the the situation that you described with the young actress and the three older actresses having to nurture this person through through something. And as she, you know, she spoke about, you know, we don't want to demonise people. Sometimes people have really good intentions and bad behaviours yeah, is one of the things absolutely. that she said. So I think there is a, a level of education that needs to happen. And, that, and, and we do, all of us, including actors, need to take responsibility yeah. for ourselves and for each other. And I think the shift in the culture that we've all witnessed in the last two or three years ha is enabling that. And we yes. should celebrate that and we should really encourage, you know, particularly younger actors to feel that if someone does something in a rehearsal room that they don't like, rather than just biting their lip, yeah. they quietly, and with the support of their peers perhaps, just, just deal with it head on. 
And that's what's so positive, you know, about the codes of conduct. And now I've been on productions where the code of conduct are now read out. Yeah. Um, at the beginning, yeah. yeah, as long with the safe spaces. Yeah. At the bit at the um start of either the rehearsal process or the first production meeting, um, and of course, you know, other than just naming and decla- you know having those words um said out loud, which about fundamental respect, which I completely agree, have their resonance. Um, then also um the person is read out who's the person that you go to and the channels that you go yeah, through yeah. if you need yes, if you redress. Need, if, yeah. and, and that's also such a, um, you know important difference that before um, the codes of conduct and therefore really clearly having the, the structure then of redress, that that's where people were left going, well, I'm not feeling very happy, but who do I go to? And, Absolutely, and, um, yeah. and that's also a part of what really empowers people that that, um, that, that pathway is now clearly set out. Yes, as you say, you know, the original gig economy, you know, how do you do that? Because if you work in a, in a you know, somewhere where you've been working there for 25, 30 years, there's an HR person, there's whatever, you know, but, you know, you never know. And, and it's it's a lot to ask of people. And in fact, one of the, the groups of people that I've been um, very much involved with is a group that was put together by Sue Parrish, who is um, the artistic director, among many other things, of Sphinx Theatre Company, um, and Julia Pascal, the writer, producer, director. So one of the things we've not had a chance to do yet, but we're, we're hoping to do is start a kind of a guardian angels thing mm. where this there will be people I will judge I mean because I you know I'm 65 now I'm getting my pension from Her Majesty thank you very much Your Majesty um, and I um, you know so and I don't I'm not extravagant so I can actually afford to have somebody go do you know what I'm never going to employ you again and I go okay that's fine if you don't want to employ me I don't want to be employed by you so I'm in a very strong position in that way um, and also we would hope to get people men and women um, who are in positions of power uh, who go excuse me you just can't, you know, behave like that. Uh, people who can, who, who you can't afford to not employ again, mm. and and to get a thing where you you sort of sign up and you go, I will be that guardian angel or whatever. We'll think of something slightly catchier, and uh, <laughs> you get a badge, you get a badge, a beautiful badge, and um, and and the idea will be that when you are in that room, you will be you are declaring that you are happy to have people come and talk to you, and I think that that is something we can do. As well as the other stuff that's going on, um, you know, uh, and have somebody like that in the room or nearby. So, you know, watch this space. Yeah, for sure. I think that'd be very powerful, just knowing exactly who that person is. I think it would be remiss of me not to kind of ask for us to go into a little bit more detail about actually breaking down something that you need to do on set. And I was thinking in particular, Ita, maybe you could talk a little bit to something like a kiss scene. If someone is asked to do a kiss, how? what is your process or what would you recommend for breaking that down? Um, yes, lovely. Um, I'm glad you asked that. And it reminded me of one of the, one of the um, um, paragraphs we had in the um, guidelines. For, yes, that we've for, um, Beware of just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> beware of just. Whenever, the, whenever someone says just buh, you already know there's going to be bad practice in place. Yeah. Right. And, and invariably with the kiss, it's like, oh, it's just a kiss. And the thing is that, um, of course, a kiss is never just a kiss. It's there because it's telling you something. And is it a kiss? I've been working with Betrayal recently. He kisses her, she pulls away. He kisses her, laughter off, she breaks away. Um, you know, that's really clear beats, really clear pa- power play. Um, and you, you want to honour that. And when you honour that, oh, my goodness, do you get some really exciting, you know, it's telling you about character. It's telling you about, you know, who, what the power play is within those moments. And you want to honour all of that. So the first thing with the guidelines, again, is in order to really keep it professional and not private. Um, you know, and again, so often 
historically we've had that thing of the director might talk really clearly about the intimate content and then say, as you mentioned earlier on, Maureen, now you two go away and work it out for yourselves. And suddenly you're no longer professional, you're in a private space, you're, you know, you're two individuals. And when you don't have an outside eye that's making sure that you're serving character, then you're left scrabbling to go, oh, what's all right for you? And this is what I like. And, yeah. and that as well. So, so none of that. So one of the first steps um, of the process of the guidelines is always have a third person present. So if the director perhaps might have spoken about it and they want to carry on with rehearsing, rehearsing something else, then ask for the assistant director or the stage manager. Um, or if you're on set, a second AD, or the last resort is at least to have a fellow actor with you. And then it's a, a getting agreement and consent. So it's always serving the writing. So it starts from really looking at what's, as I said, what's the power play, what's the beats, and then you so we'll, which will already give you the basic shape. And then you agree touch. So, you know, is it okay if I place my hands on your cheek? And then you do it. And again, this is where we're offering, you know, uh, offering and inviting a positive response. When I say a positive response, it doesn't mean it has to be yes, but it's a clear yes or a no. And also we're looking for what's in play body parts wise that the actor is completely comfortable with so that when they then take those body parts into serving character, that they're open and free and not in that place of shifting to their personal body where they're concerned, which is where I say your yes is your yes, your no is your no, and your places of maybe is a no. Because as soon as you go to maybe, <laughs> you're already, your body's in you, yeah. having tensions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then once you've got that agreement and consent, and again, that's where then you're asking, you know, again, actors were saying, well, I so often actually override what I really feel in order to be pleasing. So it's really inviting you to, to, to really body listen and be really present. So then once you've done that, then it's like a dance. And we know it's in play. I, I gaze into your eyes, I step forward, I place my hand around your waist. Um, and she might say, I place your hand on your cheek. Um, I lift my chin we kiss. So you repeat it and it's absolute structure. Um, I had a, a beautiful director yesterday and she was going, but I like to improvise and you know, and they're, they're not free. And, and of course, you know, the structure, what it does do is just like any dance, as you're learning that, you know, physical um, choreography, it can look a bit stilted. But once you've got that frame, then you go back, re-anchor the emotional journey, get that clarity of, of I'm, um, she's waiting there, nervous but absolutely delighted of, of, of um, this, you know, this finally coming together. The man's in his sexual energy coming forward, pulling her towards him. Yeah, she lifts her um, hands on the cheek. Um, she floats up as she lifts her chin and they kiss into a beautiful, you know. <laughs> so, yes. Do, just can I, can I ask Eater a question? Yeah, do, do you ever, so that, that doesn't surprise me about the director, do you ever get resistance? from actors to, to, to the, the choreographic nature. Yes, as I said, you know, um, yeah. particularly older actors who go, I know how to do this. I don't want to talk yeah. about it. Yeah. I know, and I don't want to make it a bigger thing than it needs to be. Mm. And of course, the irony is that, um, that when you um, deal with it and you speak about it openly, you talk about it in an actual and adult way. So one of the things we're inviting is to not use language that infantilizes, titivates or objectifies. Mm. So you're not saying, oh, your tits or your one-eyed trouser snake. You know, you talk about breasts and penises. Um, so it makes it, and it keeps it professional. Mm. It keeps it professional, mm. and it allows you to bring your, as I say, your, bring your craft of, your, of the actor to the intimate content. But yes, I'm absolutely up against that. Um, you know, that's where buffering that resistance. And the other thing is putting in a timeout. Timeout's mm. so important. So not only the director, but it gives the actors the autonomy to halt the action. 
um, and you know in theatre I was doing um, a play called Food um, this particular character her storyline is at 14 she's assaulted by other boys 16 she gets drunk at a party she thinks she's going to go off with one guy but actually all these other guys turn up at this bar and she's gang raped and it's observed by her sister that, that narrates it and then later on she's um, um, raped by her mother's boyfriend. So that's quite heavy, isn't oh. it? Emotional content for that actress to go through. So when we were choreographing the gang I've rape... I've seen the play. Go on. You saw it? Did you <laughs> yes, see it? Yes, I did. Yay! Go on. <laughs> I didn't know you saw it. <gasps> So, so, so again, it was abstracted. You know, we, we had the we, um, white goods. We had, like, fr- a fridge and a cooker. So we just, it was abstract, her acting this out. But we had to really analyse the text. Go, OK, Tom does this, and then Harry comes in and does that. And so that was absolutely a time where the act, we did a certain amount, and the actress then go, OK, need a time out, need to go and take some fresh air. And, and then in particular on set, so um, calling a time out or having that. So once you've rehearsed it, the... Um, you know, call it to getting my work as well, making sure I have a really good relationship with the first AD so that you call out the closed set. Um, and then very importantly, you've agreed with your director, with your actors, your time out. You know, it might be a physical sign, it might be a word, um, but that's also shared with the whole of the crew so that, what, that the actors know that at any time, if they need to, they can call a time out. So, for example, um, you know, if you're doing a, um, intimate content, it's natural and normal. If you're doing rhythmic movements up against each other, that you might become aroused. However, you know, for a lady, it's not so obvious. For a man, it, it's um, you know, becomes obvious. However, it is not suitable to be in the workplace with an erection. So that's absolutely one of the times that you might that you'd say, you know, call a timeout. Yeah, right. I have to say, what you have just said makes me want to weep with joy. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. yeah. No, I, I can't it imagine if I want... was an actor, I I simply wouldn't. I wouldn't know where to begin and I would be terrified and to have someone like you on on set or in a rehearsal room with me would be so unbelievably reassuring. I'm amazed that this role hasn't existed before you're so... Everything you say about how much attention we give to choreography or to fight direction... Um, makes perfect sense in this context, and I think it's I think it's a brilliant and, and, and as you say that thing of just because it's sexually intimate or physically intimate does not mean that it's other. You know, we're telling the story, we're telling the story, and then there's this place where everybody goes to Planet Zord and does sexy stuff, and then we go back and we tell the story. You are like that thing you've just described so beautifully. You know, the whole thing of the tentative first kiss. Does she want to be kissed? Does he want to be kissed? Did whatever, what's going on there? Oh, that would be what oh then a bit embarrassed, or they hear somebody get all that it, as you say, it's part of a story that you can tell. Totally. And if you tell the story right, people are compelled by it. Well, sure. It's just it's fantastic. Uh, and Rita, and then wonderful. once you've got that structure, um, you know, you can have a so it's like playing a musical instrument, isn't it? It's you like have to learn yeah. the notes yeah. and then so you can um, be free with it. So like I had a scene where I was doing in Dublin um, and there was a grab of the breast and then a hand right over the, genit- you know, the, the vagina, the genitalia. So it seemed really full on. But once that's agreed and consented to, it is, there's nothing, you know, because they know what's going to happen. And, um, and a beautiful scene. And then they decided that to start it, they'd come in through the door. And she was saying, actually, I was more fumbling about coming in through the door or the whole physical yeah, content right. she was really comfortable with. And the director was saying, oh, my goodness, once it's choreographed, I can then get on with my job of going right now up the vulnerability or up the passion because then again you've got the frame and you can still have it different every performance but the structure of the physicality is known the actors are personally safe so they can artistically then give their full you know acting their in character it, it also I, I am I right in saying that it also pushes out of the room that kind of you know what 
what possibly some people became actors so that they could indulge that kind of you know, like the frisson that happens between yeah. two people when you're sort of, you know, you have this accelerated process mm-hmm. of getting to know yes. each other when you when you work as an actor. And, and and I think it's just great that you can push that out of the room yeah. by making it very choreographed and precise yeah. Yeah. Uh, without without um, undermining the, the authenticity or the, yeah. or the you know... Uh, may absolutely. I ask you, Christina? Sure. Um, uh, uh, did you feel when you went to see the, the the play where this terrible series of sexual assaults happened? Did did you were you sitting there thinking, well, that, I'm not convinced? I mean, I gathered it was quite it was done in a very it was slightly non abstract way. Did, did any of it bother you? Did you did you? No, I have to say, I mean, it took me a little while as you were describing. I was like, I have seen that because I it, I thought about it and was thinking, it didn't come across to me as brutal. It was obviously a, a really difficult subject matter. But I was completely convinced by everything I saw. As you said, it was slightly abstracted, so it wasn't literal. Um, and I came away with a really interesting experience of a play. I didn't feel, and I have to say as well, I was right in the front row. So it wasn't like I was sort of detached from the stage, yeah. you know, or whatever. I was really right up in it. So, yeah, I, I think you did a marvellous job because it was a very, it was a heavy play. Um, but it but came there across. you are. There was no feeling of totally. Kind of like, no, no. I didn't go oh, away I thinking. The work of an intimacy absolutely, here, I didn't you know. go away thinking. You know, something's been undermined here, or this is not real, or whatever. Not at all. Well, again, it's so brilliant. I'm so glad. <laughs> and um, and of course, that's the irony, and that's some of the concern in the industry. And again, old school directors who are used to being, you know, um, yeah, of power, um, to feeling or. Um, concerned that their power or their autonomy of their direction of that moment is going to be taken away from them. And again, I say, well, you, you don't think, so you're bringing in a stunt coordinator or a fight director, that your direction is taken away. You know that they're going to listen to what you want. They're going to put your safe, the safety mechanisms in place um, so that you're going to get you know, a really exciting fight. It's exactly the same. It's just our safety mechanisms are perhaps genitalia cushions and nipple covers. Um, so yeah, but you know, a lot of people are worried about the idea that you know, is this whole Me Too movement going to stop um, people being able to flirt with one another? Of course, it's not going to stop. You know, no, no, no. I mean, it's still even in the bar, it just can't happen. I mean, you know, it, yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. It's fine. Exactly. That's not work. But well. I know we don't have infinite time, so I want to sort of wrap up some of our questions here and and ask perhaps a slightly silly, provocative question. I don't know. You can tell me. But do you think acting can actually ever be safe? Because you talked about taking off layers yep. and being vulnerable. I mean, I think I know kind of what the vibe is in the room in terms of how you would answer that. But, you know, I just kind of wanted to phrase it that way. Can acting ever actually be safe? I think it can. I absolutely think it can. And I think um, it, it, with all due respect to everybody, keeping it professional um, and uh, changing the culture you said this, you used the word culture earlier, Wendy, absolutely. We have got, we are in the long haul here, changing the culture of the way that our business is so that when you are in a room and anything happens, it feels a little bit uncomfortable to either you or somebody else, or you see somebody else in distress. It is, we. what we want is for it to become so unusual that you literally go, oh, did you see that? Did I imagine that? As opposed to the past, which was, well, it just was everywhere. So I we're on that journey now, and I absolutely believe we're going to get there. Sorry, that's my take. Yeah. On. No, that's good. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think you'll ever remove the, the what Maureen described right at the very beginning about 
how you are part of being an actress, making yourself emotionally, philosophically, psychologically vulnerable. Um, but if there, but it, with regard to this the specificity of you know sexual or harassment or bullying or whatever, then I think yes, it, it, it can be. Um, and, and we're all you know those of us that care, which is lots of us, um, are wor- working towards that. But it, you will always be. It's a vulnerable profession. It's not. It's not easy to be an actor. And I, I, as I get older, I have more and more admiration for actors for everything. I mean, everything that you, mm. you know, that you've been describing, Isha, about how you create those scenes. I'm sitting here thinking, I'm so glad that's never going to be me. <laughs> it's, it's a really brave thing yeah, to do. Yeah. So we have to acknowledge that and make it as safe as we can. But it still requires you to be quite brave. And I want to carry on then from that thing of being brave because that's part of what's been levelled at actors is that, oh, you've got to be brave to be um, an actor and that bravery means you have to do any nudity content and any sexual content. Mm. And actually that's not the case. You know, you don't know what someone's life has been up until a particular point and if they've got particular places that are no-go areas or particular places that are triggering, you know, to, to be able to call them so that you can um, then still bring your craft of the acting, that's what we need to be, take care of. We're on the track, We're aren't on the we? Track. We're on the track. Mm. Very last thing, if someone is feeling uncomfortable, they're in a job tomorrow, they're in an audition tomorrow, what do they do? Well, if they don't want to say it out loud to the person because they are concerned about being thought of as a troublemaker, as soon as they possibly can, as they leave the room. If you're a, mem- a member of Equity, call the Equity Helpline. Um, you can. Uh, there's all kinds of help. There's arts minds out there. If you're really, really bothered, the Samaritans, and if you really something really unpleasant happens to you, call the police. You're allowed to call the police. That is what they're there for. Um, so, you know... Uh, Pick up a card from Equity. We've got all these different things on it, places you can think. And, and uh, you can find it in other places as well. Um, and, and you, But m- the most important thing, say it out loud as soon as you possibly can to somebody. And instantly it becomes manage- more manageable. That is just a fact. Absolutely. And on that note, thank you so much, ladies. Pleasure. Great pleasure. pleasure. Thank, thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Christina. If you've got questions about today's podcast, please drop us an email at questions at spotlight.com or talk to us on Twitter at Spotlight UK. If you ever see a breakdown you're not sure about, please hit that report button and we will investigate. For other information about how you can get help, we'll have all of Equity's details in the show notes. Thank you for listening to today's episode. That's all for now from the home of casting. <laughs>